0: Hey, what up? Thanks for listening to Work Stuff. For this episode, I caught up with a former boss of mine, Antoinette Aboud, who I know as our Director of Customer Success. When we recorded this, she had just accepted a new offer, but hadn't shared the news publicly yet. I can reveal now, though, that she'll be the head of Customer Success at Commerce Bear, which is a software company that helps furniture makers grow their revenue. Looking at their website now, and it says the number one ranked sofa on Overstock is powered by Bear, so... Enough said. Anyways, we talk about her experience being recruited by the federal government, her time in the admissions office at Tulane, and how she ended up as an early employee in customer success at a high-growth startup in the Silicon Bayou. Hope you enjoy.
1: Welcome to Work Stuff. Can you see my screen? No, I don't think so, because it's just for listening. I'm the guy who brings up Work Stuff at parties. My name is Andy join me work stuff a podcast work stuff professional stories casually told
0: Antoinette thanks for joining me on my podcast
1: I'm so excited to be talking to you Andy thank you for the invite
0: your first podcast ever right
1: you know what? You're going to laugh at me. This is like not only my first podcast recording ever, but it's going to actually be like my first time engaging with a podcast.
0: That's really funny because one of my questions that I like to ask people is, what podcast do you listen to or recommend? So now I know active listening. I know I don't need to ask that now. I know you as director of customer success at Airbase previously and, and then Levelset before that. I had the lucky chance to interview you, but Do you want to describe where you are in your career now and then maybe we'll start from the beginning and work our way up to that
1: yeah for sure basically where i am is i have been in the very lucky and privileged position to be able to take about two months off just to Mm. kind of really think about the kind of company that i want to work for and the kind of mission that i want to be working on you know i love customer success i love helping people customers and team members and I think I've really developed a passion for building and scaling great teams and processes. So it was nice to take a step back. I was able to spend a lot of really great quality time with family and friends, and I'm really excited to be getting back into it now with a you know refreshed outlook and a lot of rest.
0: That's amazing. And, and that's still the same kind of role, right? I assume leadership and customer success or any sort of change there?
1: Nope, right now it's still going to be leadership and customer success.
0: Love that. And I assume still in the uh, startup or tech software world.
1: Definitely still in startups. And I'm getting back to like kind of where I really love to be, which is the early stage startups. So like seed, series A kind of territory.
0: Yeah, it's uh, definitely very different living in that world right now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's very, very different. How are you finding it?
0: I enjoy it. I mean, it's very different to not have a very buzzing Slack community or Slack instance of just messages all the time, which used to be so distracting. It's kind of like the remote office almost is like all living in Slack. So then it's super quiet for me now.
1: Oh, well, you know, it will get louder as things grow and as the team grows, but I think it is nice to have a little bit of a quieter Slack environment so you can really get to yeah. The work.
0: It's very exciting. It's cool to have access to, you know, the co founders, the engineering team. You know, there's eight of us. I don't know how big your team is, but that access is super cool. And then knowing that I can kind of like have that imprint of culture, you know, throughout the the next few years here. So it's gonna be cool.
1: And you're gonna be great at that. And that's one of the exciting things about companies of that size. Like you do have a lot of influence about over, you know, culture as the company grows and scales and Mm -hmm. a lot of takeaways from your kind of past lives that will be really helpful there. Yeah, I remember when it was 15 of us in a house and Mm -hmm. I remember the first time like we couldn't really fit in a room for a stand-up. Then we had to move to another building and then another building after that and it was just wild to see how everything kept growing and soon there would be people and you were like, they're wearing a t-shirt for our company, but I don't remember them coming through the training or whatever. Right. And, you know, so I think it happens a lot faster than you think.
0: Yeah. It's interesting how there isn't that house stage yet for startups. I talked to another coworker of mine that joined uh, Flowcast early and he interviewed in this house and was like, what am I doing interviewing in this house? Am I going to be safe? You know, is this a scam? And now it's like everyone's remote. So we're, we are in that stage of like having a little house, but we're just in six different countries instead.
1: Totally, yeah, um, it's, it's absolutely wild. And, I, and it's also yeah. funny, I remember a customer very early on at my first SaaS company saying like, what are you, like five kids in a garage? Mm-hmm. And you know, in my head, I, this is not what I said, but I was like, no, we're, you know, 20 young adults in a whole house, mm-hmm. not, a, not just a garage. <laughs> um, yeah, but mean, it's, it's, um, it is interesting how kind of remote work has changed a lot of that.
0: Yeah, it's pretty pretty odd, but I'm, I'm all for it. I can get a lot of other stuff done. Well, I know about your background. I interviewed you, we can get to that. But would love to just know, coming out of Tulane, what were you focused on career-wise at that point in your life?
1: That's a really great question, and one that I get a lot when uh, people mm-hmm. see my resume. So Mm -hmm. for a little context, when I went to Tulane, my freshman year was actually 9-11. And coming from a Middle Eastern background, my my dad is from Lebanon, like immigrated to the U.S. Mm -hmm. It was a really, I mean, very difficult time for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons and just kind of trying to figure out culturally and ethnically where I fit in in America and kind of dealing with a lot of the backlash of ethnocentrism um, and things like Mm -hmm. that that happen after major, major, you know, horrific events like that. Like my response was just to learn as much as I could about the politics and, you know, about the Culture of being Arab or Middle Eastern outside of the US, you know, having been raised here completely and having never been to the Middle East at that point in my life. So I threw myself into the studies. I'm kind of one of those people, which we'll get to later, is like a quality that I really like looking for in hires. Mm -hmm. It's just that curiosity um, when you're faced with kind of a question or trying to understand a situation just wanting to go in and go down what is now like the Google search rabbit hole. But back then, you know, was books and libraries and microfiche and all of that fun stuff. So I studied Middle Eastern studies as well as my passion for literature, a huge Hmm. fiction reader. So I was an English major and designed my own major in Middle Eastern studies. And the intention when I went to college was eventually to be a lawyer, but I found as I went on that that wasn't really my passion. And so I instead applied to graduate programs in Middle Eastern studies and public policy and ended up choosing Middle Eastern studies and went to University of Chicago for two years to continue studying that. And the career goal at that point, I think, you know, the idealist in me really, you know, imagined a life working for an NGO or United Nations or something, mm-hmm. and then getting to grad school and being at a program where it was either a PhD feeder program or honestly a government feeder yeah. program, which is not something that I was super interested in. I kind of started looking at alternatives, but you know, sure. I did interview for government jobs, which was also super interesting, but ended up uh, moving to New York And Mm -hmm. working at a nonprofit called Seeds of Peace that did conflict resolution with Middle Eastern and Southeast Asian youth, which was really impactful, incredibly emotional. Um, I was an executive assistant starting Mm -hmm. off and then moved into a development and communications associate role, which basically was my start in relationship management.
0: Right. Yeah. Relationship management applies way more than you might think.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh. And just learning how to talk to people from different backgrounds, being able to put yourself into other people's shoes. and, And with that job specifically, learning that however much I studied and learned about the Middle East, when you go to this camp and you're with these kids, every one of them has their own truth about the conflict. And it's really similar when you think about people's perspectives and the way that we all kind of interpret and remember events and things that happened. Uh, And that's been a lesson that I've kind of taken with me to other aspects of my professional and personal life. Loves living in New York, but living in New York on a nonprofit salary entry level was not (laughs) meant to be so i headed back to new orleans and did kind of some tutoring um, worked in marketing at a charter school and then eventually within a few months of being back started working for my alma mater tulane university in the admission office where i had been an intern as a student mm-hmm. and i was a recruiter for undergraduate admission for almost six years and in that time um, i mean i can't recommend enough like if there were if anybody listens to this that is in high school or college and you are looking for an amazing first job that will teach you everything mm. that you need to know, like you are traveling, you are building relationships with parents, counselors, students, you are planning events, you are multitasking, you are doing data analysis, like so many different things. That job taught me how to do all of that and balance a million plates in the air as well as like how to be a strong public speaker and engage with people and actively listen. And it was really an incredible job looking back. And I think that it gave me the skills that I would need to be successful in customer success, in operations, whatever I decide to do. And a lot of us that were there actually ended up moving into customer success, product management, sales in SaaS companies.
0: That makes a ton of sense.
1: Yeah, it was very cool, but it was also exhausting. It came to the point where I had the longest travel schedule of any of the admission counselors and the highest reading load. And I was just, you know, starting to burn out and really wanted to be in New Orleans. Um, And we had a burgeoning tech scene. I don't know if people have heard of the Silicon Bayou, but that's what New Orleans is a part of. (laughs) <laughs> and started interviewing with some tech companies and found a really small niche startup at the time called Zlean and they were in construction payment.
0: Yeah, very cool. I want to back up a bit because I think there's some interesting stories that you have when you were thinking of more of a government or legal career, right? Didn't you have an interesting interview process with a federal agency? I don't want to name until you say it's okay.
1: Well, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I interviewed with the CIA, the DIA, and ended up canceling an interview with the State Department because I had accepted my job at Seeds of Peace. But yeah, it was one of those really wild things. You walk into a job fair and it was you know the first suit that i had ever purchased it was like on sale at banana republic And you walk in and being a Middle Eastern studies student and looking uh, Middle Eastern as I do, the agencies were just all over it. They like ran up to all of us. And I went through the interview processes just to see what it was like and to say that I did it. And, you know, I was I didn't think that I would make it through anyway, just because, you know, if you have relatives living in the Middle East, chances are security clearance is not going to be easy to get. So, um, you know, went through and met some interesting people, and um, at that point in time, my translation skills were were really good. Not so much anymore.
0: It's very cool. Um, The CIA. I can't. I've never met, obviously, anyone with that on their their background. I can only imagine what you're thinking of what where your career might go if you like have CIA on your resume, or what kind of roles you might end up. Like maybe I'm going to end up in some other country undercover or something. I don't know, but kind of a crazy thing to think about.
1: It really is. And I mean, and I told them, I was very honest with them up front, like, I'm the worst liar that you could ever possibly meet. And the last thing that I would want to do is sit in a room and just rewrite intelligence briefs. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I am I'm would be terrible at covert operations. Um, so so it was it was pretty easy for me to say, you know, this is cool and interesting and it's going to make a really great cocktail story one day. But definitely not the life that I was meant to lead.
0: <laughs> Out of curiosity, did they ever mention like, oh, if we did hire you, you can't tell anyone about it? Like, I'm curious if they do that with like most employees. In the CIA, I don't know if they ever went down that road or anything.
1: Yeah, I mean, they they talked a lot about that, like with the different roles and like you know, depending on what you're hired for, there are certain roles where you can tell people kind of what you do, um, but mm-hmm. then there are other roles where it's like a big no, like your your family can't know what you do. Yeah, that's tough. And like I said, I'm a terrible liar so it wouldn't have worked out even if they had ultimately offered me the job which they did not even though there were quite a few people at airbase who were convinced that airbase was just my cover
0: yeah working at a fintech startup is a good camo for the cia
1: exactly exactly in new orleans just chilling
0: that's awesome i appreciate you you diving into that would love to know about working at tulane In the admissions process, did you have a lot of say in who would get admittance into the school? And what was your influence on on that process?
1: I mean, we read every single file that came through. And obviously, things have probably changed a lot since I was there. It's been, you know, over eight years. Mm. And technology and everything has advanced so much. Application processes have changed number of applicants. But we would read every file um, but there are certain guidelines, you know, academically, depending on the rigor of the school, like you're, you're focusing on applicants within a certain test score range. But even within that, like just because you have perfect scores and a perfect GPA, it doesn't mean you're going to get into a safety school. Sure, I, I think yeah. that that was one thing that I saw. And, you know, that's where a lot of schools are leveraging interest and demonstrated interest. It's, even when you're applying early decision, or if you're attending events when a college or university is in your city. Um, We would visit high schools, host events at hotels. Are you coming down to campus? Like all of those things also matter because in order for these colleges and universities to keep their rankings, like their admission rate has to be really selective. And so you can't let in every amazing student that applies. So I would always tell people like the one statistic that is absolutely true. Hmm. If you do not apply, there is a 100% chance that you will not get in. Um, So even if something seems like a reach and it's something that you really want, apply for it. Hmm. Fill out every part of the application. If there's a personal statement that is optional, like it's really not optional. Or if there's like a why this school, fill it out. And when you're writing something like a personal statement, just be your authentic self. Not everyone's gonna be an amazing writer, but it it should be your voice. Like if I would see a student that wrote about their passion for service because of this trip that they went on to Costa Rica, to build houses but then i like go through their application and literally nothing else that they did was about Mm. service like own what you love and you'll find the right fit
0: applies to just applying for jobs too like encouraging people to be themselves and then the school or the company that wants that will find you right
1: and we would always say there are no bad schools just bad fits
0: totally yeah i wish i had um just done more research at that age branched out more and You're right, I got into zero schools that I did not apply to, (laughs) (laughs)
1: Actually, It's the only statistic you can actually rely on. I mean, I went to Tulane, they sent a free application. It was already partially filled out for me. And so I sent the rest back, like back I'm aging myself, but we had to mail it all in. And so I just sent the rest of it back and it was on a whim. I was dead set on going to Boston University. And uh, when I got in, I went to visit and it was freezing cold, which Mm -hmm. if anyone knows me, I'm always super cold and don't enjoy it. It was also just gigantic. I think that I didn't fully realize how massive it was. It was a city. And I came from yep. a very, very, very small town in the woods in Northeast Ohio. And it was a bit of a shock to my system. And then I, you know, got on a plane to visit Tulane on a whim and just fell in love with the city and everything with the school followed.
0: For sure. So it's, it's good that you like, you're like, oh, I might as well send it in. And well, I might as well go visit. And sure enough, that's where the, the golden piece of info you were missing for that decision.
1: And I think it's like kind of something that I've honestly followed in life a lot where people look at my resume and hear the experiences and they either think it's very cool and interesting or really random would be the other word that people have used. And I think my eyes have been open to other opportunities. Like every, every Mm. time you accept a job, it's like you're walking into a room and there are a ton of doors and like, you just got to be open to what's on the other side of them and be open to exploring something that maybe you didn't think of before.
0: So you must have been like an absolutely prime, amazing candidate for a CSM role then, because uh, I mean, I guess not like amazing because you didn't have that role before, but I can only imagine that interview, just, you just like nailed the interview because you know how to interview well and you have an interesting background, you know how to like help people be successful in some way. So I just can't, I have to imagine you must have knocked that interview out of the park when you joined Level Right What was it called again?
1: Zeline, back the day. I mean, yeah. you know, luckily I did, but I, I think that I had a lot of experience with just communicating with people and I actually didn't even apply for a CS job there. I I mean, I was applying to absolutely everything because I had been turned down at other tech companies because they didn't see my experience Mm -hmm. as transferable. And I applied for an office manager role and they reached out to me and said, you are way overqualified for the office manager role. We want to interview you for something else. And so I went in and met with Gretchen who ended up being my boss for seven years and is a very dear friend of mine. And we kind of hit it off and then I met with the CEO and we hit it off and then the at the time head of sales, now VP of sales, we hit it off. And it was just one of those things where I was actually talking to my old CEO about this. It's one of those really special scenarios where you get the right idea at the right time and you get the right people around it that maybe none of us had experience doing any of it, but we were still able to kind of make magic happen. So it was very special looking back to have cool. been able to get in at, at that stage. And part of it is, and what I've been looking for as I've been looking for new opportunities. It really is that combination of the, the right idea and the right people.
0: Yeah. And um, the, the wave of, I guess this is like the wave of cloud software is really big now. It's like, okay, Salesforce was successful. Now we're going to do that with all these cloud apps. And you all found your niche in construction payments, which like I imagine no one is focused on that corner, right?
1: Well, you know, what's funny is that we did have some people focused on that corner. And and as I was leaving, Level said it was acquired by Procore. We were the first ones that were doing it from the kind of bottom of the construction chain up, and Procore was more Mm. focused at the top. And then it was interesting to see competitors come along. I mean, Scott was definitely the first to build that kind of product. He was the disruptor, which was really fun and you know also being in a space like construction it is kind of this legacy space like people were not in the beginning very trusting of technology it is still Mm. in a lot of ways a handshake kind of industry but we were able to get in and show people that they could trust us and that's something that's very cool too
0: and just knowing like I guess I had to have helped for the buyers to know that like, you're not focused on these other random industries. Like you really are focused on that one corner.
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah. You know, the average time to payment in construction was over 90 days. So if you can imagine Jeez. being a small mom and pop shop, having to sometimes wait over 100 days to get paid for work that you've already done. And they just didn't know all of the laws and everything like that because every state had different laws. Some of them have like wild ones like Texas. And mm-hmm. it's hard to be compliant. And it's hard to track it all by paper. So uh, we were able to help them do that by sending out the documents legally that they needed to, they could take on riskier jobs.
0: If only they trusted Bitcoin, you know, it's instantaneous.
1: Maybe one day.
0: <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm just I'm looking at your LinkedIn now. And I remember doing this, obviously, when we were interviewing you to join Airbase and just seeing the level of progressions like every one to two years you found a promotion. How do you how do you think you found that that success? Like it's not every day you see that kind of progression from someone going from you were the first CS hire all the way up to director of CS and owning a team of sixty-five people. Like that's very impressive. What do you think attributed to your success there?
1: I think for me, I was never chasing the title. I always said yes to new projects and opportunities, even if I wasn't sure that I would be successful at it. So like I would see a hole, something that wasn't getting done, and I would just start doing it. So in every single one of those scenarios, like with a promotion, I was doing the job before I got the job. And I think that there's a lot to be said for people who like take initiative. If you see a problem that needs to be solved, you know, I would go to my boss and say, hey, saw this isn't happening. Here's like a proposal for this. What do you think? And she'd be like, "Okay, yeah, run with it. So I mean, you know, and there were some times where she's like, no, someone else is working on that. Don't worry about it. I think being open to trying things that are outside of your job description and not always expecting that that's immediately going to be like, oh, now I have this new job. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, it was, I, yeah. I kind of looked at it more as like an audition and show them how much I could yeah. take on, how much responsibility I could have, like how accountable I was for the outcomes, good or bad, and like how quickly I could pivot.
0: Yeah, as the CSM, you're the voice of the customer and your perspective is unlike anyone else's and also probably one of the most valuable perspectives because what your customers are telling you is how you're gonna build the right features or the right updates to then win more customers just like them. But I'm just curious if you have an example of like what you might have done that was extra um, that was outside of your job description that then led to a promotion.
1: Well, I think that even in my my first year because I was asked to kind of own SMB onboarding support and CSM work and then also kind of be backup for enterprise and I worked to set up health scores and do all of that, and it was like an incredibly manual process, but it was also basically at that point in time our source of truth for who our customers actually were, because Salesforce wasn't like fully there yet. So I basically built out this record of usage, payment, et cetera, noticed that many of our customers hadn't paid us in a while. Sometimes I'd find billing errors and get those fixed, so I kind of stepped in and Mm -hmm. took on a, a, a little bit of a finance role until we hired someone to do that took on like almost an ops role in some ways so i just kind of started putting my hands in different pots and it you know got noticed you know we're able to collect one hundred fifty thousand dollars that we weren't able to collect before like that's something that gets people excited
0: definitely moves the needle
1: right or i can go to our new you know operations guy that they just hired and he he stands in front of everyone and says we have this many customers and i like dm him on the side and being like no we don't we have this many customers and able to like walk through how i got to that number i was tracking churn tracking signups all of that before the the company could do that at scale
0: yeah that's critical And, and you start to i mean as you work with more people you start realizing You know, who on your team kind of thinks that way? And you start to realize like, okay, this person is definitely destined for more responsibility. And so you're showing that as early as possible and not really being shy about it.
1: And I think that that's something is just like always like, don't just wait for someone to ask you to do something. And you don't even always have to go in and say, well, what can I do? like go in with some ideas of problems that you see that you know you can help solve or you want to try to help solve. And that makes it a lot easier because it's one of those things when someone comes and be like, what can I do to help? And I'm like, oh, it's going to take me longer to think about it and then show you how to do it. But if somebody comes in and they're like, I'm going to take this off your plate and I'm going to try to figure it out. Be like, cool.
0: Yeah. The worst thing I I imagine when you have 65 people below you, even like you know, you had directors and then, you know, there's levels there, but someone comes to you and says, hey, Antoinette, this is broken. It's like, and, you know, can you elaborate more? Like, what have you done since you found this out? Basically, it goes a long way. It's like the last thing you want to hear is a boss, I'm sure.
1: Well, one of our core values that we built on the CS team at Levelset was bring proposals over problems. And mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people really got to that point where they, they recognize like, if I'm going to my manager with this, I need to tell them what I've done to solve this already. And I need to right. let them know where I'm stuck and talk about it in that way instead of just saying, here, fix this. And it also applied really to kind of their growth paths as well. If people came and said, grow me, it's different mm-hmm. than coming and saying, here's how I want to grow. I don't know what kinds of projects or things that I can work on, let's mm-hmm. talk about that. And I think like that's that's where the fun starts. And I think with you, mm-hmm. you knew what you wanted, but you didn't realize how many of the skills you already had.
0: Yeah, I appreciate your leadership there. Let's just shout about how you joined, how we kind of started working together. From my perspective, I joined Airbase like six months before you or so. Just me and Jag, and we definitely had like our work cut out for us for that first quarter, but was also interviewing a third CSM and you to join us as our leader to be like, all right, we need someone to go join these executive meetings and like go to bat for us because we're basically on calls all day. But you were really cool to interview for that role because I saw how like a good interview is handled from the interviewee perspective. It was just awesome to have that experience in general. But you really nailed it because you were just really empathetic. And I think that you just addressed all our questions and you weren't shy about like your gaps. And you talked a lot about how your team, you, you level up your team a lot and really coach them. So that was really a big reason why you had my vote.
1: Oh, well, thank you. I'm, I, I was really, I loved the interview process with y'all as well. And I think, you know, I hadn't been looking for a job at that point. I was starting to get to the point where I felt like I had worked myself out of a job, which is always my goal. And I had these amazing managers that had come up underneath me and... I've wanted to go back to kind of the early stage building and um, a recruiter reached out to me and I had, you know, an incredible conversation with Yako followed by Mm -hmm. amazing convos with you and Jack, which were my favorite kind of interviews, which were a little bit more conversational. You know, you guys ask great questions, but it wasn't, there was back and forth and I was able to ask questions too and really hear about the, problems that you all are facing and what was important to you because I think that that's you know coming in as a direct manager role like you really want to understand what team members are facing and you know see where the impact that you can make when you come in or if you come in would be and be able to speak to that. And so that was that was a, a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. Were you interviewing at other places at the time too? Or, or was it just Airbase?
1: Just Airbase.
0: That's so funny. Because I, I it, you definitely kept your cards close, I think. Because I was just like, oh, man, she's such a good candidate. We need to make sure that we, we get Antoinette on our team. Um, and like I was definitely like, I wonder how many offers she's going to have. And I don't know. I was probably overthinking things.
1: Oh, that's um, so funny. But... Yeah. I, I was honestly, you know, like I could have stayed at level set. And we were just getting acquired at that point, um, so I could yeah. have stayed on and been fine. I think that from my perspective, I was planning on starting to like update LinkedIn and do all of that stuff, like maybe a, in a couple mm. months. So I mean, I didn't even update my resume. It was it was wild, um, and that you know, kind of what I wanted to do like this past fall was actually go through the interview process with other companies and the search process and, and stuff like that, because yeah. I hadn't done that since 2014. Oh. So it's so yeah, pretty wild yeah. when you think about it. But yeah, the company sounded interesting. The opportunity sounded interesting. So I took the call with the recruiter, but I hadn't been taking a lot of those calls as, you know, people sure. were reaching out at that time. I was being pretty selective because I was like not ready yet. But then after yeah. talking to Yakko, I was just like, I need to work with that guy, so gotcha. that got me really excited. And then I got the opportunity to talk to the rest of you.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. What, what I was really impressed by was like how you took what we said in those like more informal team vibe interviews, and you took what we said and you like actually, you know, you you customer successed us, right? Like you jotted down our notes and you brought that to the next call. I don't know if we did multiple calls with you, but you, I remember it coming up later and then. I think I saw your 30, 60, 90 plan and you, know, you incorporated the words that we said. Like we literally gave you the answers almost, but it's very, very awesome to see. No,
1: I definitely CSM'd y'all. I, I mean, I always tell everybody yeah, yeah. being a manager, being a director, being a leader on a team, you are a CSM for your team. You just needed someone to come in and help kind of articulate it and advocate and escalate. And um, I mean, you guys knew what you needed. And True. some of it was just about how to do it and how to structure it. And that's where I was more than happy to help. And I think we got a lot of really great quick wins in, in just even the first couple of months.
0: Yeah, it was super nice to have the structure as we were missing. Just like having someone go to bat for us, like I mentioned, like we just, we just weren't in these other meetings. So it just didn't flow to the right people of what needed to change or what investments we needed to make. And I know that the sales team is basically their quota. Every quarter is bringing on like another full CSMs book of business. So I'm just thinking like, oh man, the next, like we need someone now because next quarter we need someone to lead a whole interview process for like one or two more CSMs, you know, I don't have the, the bandwidth for that. And just knowing that every quarter we're adding another hundred clients that need the same level of service was very intimidating.
1: Totally, and also just like, I mean, to be able to get ahead of the renewal calls and have somebody going to bat, not just with like product and marketing and sales, but also with support and onboarding. And, you know, there's just so many different moving parts. And anytime you have team members that are trying to fill in those gaps for a leader, like you're taking time away from the ability for them to like actually talk to customers and actually like proactively do that instead of being firefighters
0: yeah it was very hard to get out of reactive mode because that basically ends up being your your whole day
1: well then you're just exhausted i always tell people i i I am so proud of the cs org and what that team was able to accomplish how we grew and scaled and Just the transformation for the CSMs and the onboarding team in in really six to eight months, not even a year.
0: Yeah, it's pretty wild. One one quarter is really a lot of experience. Feels like a year in one of those quarters. But I figured I'd ask you, what was your time off like and how did you prep for finding a new spot?
1: Yeah, so at first, I mean, I am the person that probably this was a category been voted least likely to ever do this. Leave a job without another job lined up. Everybody was just like, What are you okay? And I said, Yeah, I'm great. I'd never done it. And of course, I was nervous, but I took the first couple of days and just sort of thought about what I had just done and sat with it and hung out with the dogs, just unwound a little bit. And then, I mean, within the first week, I had had some interviews that were lingering when I had still been at Airbase that I was kind of closing up, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. nothing that was really kind of calling to me. And I started like networking in my community here in New Orleans to see what had changed and what was out there. And you know, cause when I'm in a role, I'm not really looking up. I'm not really like looking sure. around to see what else mm-hmm. is out there. I'm just like hyper-focused. Right. So it was great because I got to reconnect with a lot of old colleagues. Like I mentioned, I had gotten coffee with my old CEO and it was also the holidays. My niece, who is almost five, she's turning five next week. She came down to visit me for a week with my, with my mom. And I never would have been able to like spend that kind of time with her if I had been working. So just like those kinds of things and, you know, lunches with friends that were on maternity leave and reading really good books. And long walks with a dog. Like it was very regenerative. I would try to take at least a couple of hours every day to update LinkedIn and go through the LinkedIn searches that I had set up for different jobs. And I also tried Mm -hmm. to set up networking calls with people that I knew in CS or in tech from, you know, former lives and things like that. So it was a really good mix of some job stuff, but not rushed some emotional mental well-being kind of stuff physical activity and like rest did my traditional watched all the harry potter movies before christmas but was very lucky to find some great companies out there Um, You know, the thought definitely had crossed my mind about like the economy and what I was doing, but I had seen so many leadership roles open still. And there was a company very early on that said, hey, we're not hiring for this anymore. We're waiting until February. Cool. So like that Mm -hmm. did happen, but there were still so many others out there and Mm -hmm. it gave me the opportunity to, to honestly be a little bit picky about yeah. what I was applying for and making sure it was the the right kind of mission and the right kind of company culture really grateful that I I had that chance but yeah so that's I mean, that's kind of what I was doing and then I was in Ohio and Kentucky visiting family for about 2 weeks
0: it's amazing it's uh yeah like the time time is so valuable i mean it's hard to spend it wisely but yeah it's such a process to find a job when you really need one and doing that full time it is a full time job honestly like customer success is probably going to be one of the hottest departments next year with all these layoffs and everything the focus is not really on new sales revenue it's on like retaining customers and growing customers anyways so like i think cs is the place to be
1: i always think cs is the place to be it's going to be definitely interesting to see it and i agree with your statement earlier i mean it is impossible to do like a really full and thorough job search when you have mm. a job already, especially when you're at a leadership level and you spend the majority of your day in meetings. It was it was really hard. Like I was interviewing maybe one or two jobs while I was like exiting Airbase. And I mean, just scheduling an interview, working with yeah. schedules, it was just, it was so hard and so stressful and I felt guilty and all of those things. So it was nice to have the space and also make sure that I'm making a decision that's right for me and really well informed and not in reaction to anything that's happening like on any given day.
0: Yeah, I think uh, not having all these distractions is so valuable. You're going to give a much better interview too, but I guess not everyone has that luxury, but hopefully you can get to a point that you can take that time next time. Yeah, It was,
1: yeah. yeah, 100% a luxury. And I know that I am so grateful for it. But yeah, definitely acknowledge it's a privilege and not many people <laughs> are in that position. And, you know, and I probably wouldn't have been in that position a couple of years ago, even so.
0: Yeah, exactly. When I found the role for Doc, I wasn't looking for any jobs either, kind of like with you with in Airbase. I just kind of stumbled upon it and thought, well, I should probably throw my hat in the ring because it hits the bullet points that I had kind of the back of my head that I wanted. And, I might as well put my best foot forward here. And sure enough, I got the first interview. And then I was like, oh, that was a really good conversation. Like, probably will accept this if I get it. And just kind of snowballs from there. So it's very cool.
1: Yeah, I think you, I love that you kind of took that, that chance and just saw an opening. And I think one of the things that I think is such an amazing opportunity for you is to be at a smaller company where you yep. can really showcase all of the different skills that you have as a sales leader, as a CS leader. I think that that's really exciting and a good place for you.
0: It's funny because I, I was really happy with that role at, at Airbase too. I mean, I felt like our little team was a little startup of its own and I was there CSM. But yeah, if you see something that you like, you got to go for it and then you never know. Otherwise, you'll just always be wondering.
1: I mean, there was an opportunity that a recruiter had approached me about like later days at Airbase mm. and it was basically for like a COO position oh, and wow. i was like i'm never going to get this but who knows so yeah. I might as well just practice. And, and that's kind of how I looked at some of those conversations early on when I started looking at jobs again in the late fall was like mm-hmm. just practice. If if I get my foot in the door here, like this is really great practice and I'm definitely rusty. So like, yeah, let's let's go. And you never know what's going to happen.
0: Do you have like a, a rough estimate of how many companies you interviewed with over those couple months. I'm just kind of curious how wide the array was.
1: So let's see.
0: Like like dozens or like? 10?
1: No, I would say less than 10. And I probably applied for maybe 15 jobs. Okay, And I think I was really lucky that I got interviews with the majority of them. I would say there Mm -hmm. were maybe like five that I didn't hear back from. The COO one, that was like a no. But also it was one of those things where I was nervous but not in the most exciting way. Like I think you should always be a little bit nervous because it should be like a new challenge. Like you you shouldn't be just doing what you've already done before. And then there were two where I really liked everybody, but Something wasn't clicking and those we ended up closing out mutually, like they they didn't want to proceed, I didn't want to proceed, which my heart was not broken. Yeah. yeah,
0: there's value in that.
1: Exactly. And I mean, you know, I think it's really hard to know what you do want, but I think as all of us progress through our careers, we we start to pick up on the things that we don't want and that helps inform our decision just as much. But yeah, definitely feel really lucky. I ended up with two offers. Having that ability to choose between two really fantastic companies made it, for me, a little bit more stressful at the end. But very, very exciting. And again, a really great place of privilege to be.
0: Yeah, I've been in that position. Not like I had some like two amazing offers or anything, but I do a job search, have two offers, and you're kind of picturing two future selves. And they're both fine, but very hard to like wrap your head around that and pick one without like you feel so valuable having two two in the hand right and picking one giving one away is very stressful because you're like giving away a future self that you're imagining yourself in
1: it's a it's a fork in the road and like yeah you don't it's it's like a sliding doors moment almost like go left go right what happens
0: yeah awesome that was an awesome Awesome background. I love to hear about your your work history. It's very cool. I don't think it's I don't think it's random and weird. I think it's awesome. I'm curious to know in this remote world we live in now. And I'm gonna assume you're working remote from New Orleans, but do you prefer working fully remote or have a hybrid situation or fully in office?
1: That's such a tough question. And I, I think that I'd have yeah, yeah. to go like hybrid is a really good option. And if it is fully mm-hmm. remote plenty of opportunities to do fly-ins and meet with people. I think in office... I found the bullpen environment to not be super productive for the way that I operate. Yep. Um, me too. Yeah. I think, I think you and I both have like, we're both extroverted introverts. Yeah, totally. And, and I think, you know, I love communicating with people, but if I'm like, you know, deep in a spreadsheet and someone taps me on the shoulder, my focus is now like completely gone. But like when you're at remote, you have to be able to fully trust your employees. If you yeah. don't trust that people are going to be productive and you put all of these, meetings in place and all of these different ways of like checking if someone is doing their work it puts a lot of pressure on the team on managers and then people don't have the time to actually like do the work so I think that there has to be some kind of balance and i think remote can work really well you just need to find the right people and like also for cs specifically i think you have to put touch points in place or make sure that there's a manager available to like hop on a call whenever and i think that was one of the things that always made me so sad is like being fully remote like somebody had a bad call i couldn't just go over tap them on the shoulder and be like okay i know you just had a bad call let's go for a walk
0: yeah exactly you don't you don't know that until your next one on one or
1: exactly or until like you know they decide to to share that or they send mm-hmm. me the call or or something or like they do slack me and i'm in a meeting and i can't get off of this meeting and then also being able to talk to one another and also be able to encourage people when you hear them having a really great call i think that it can lead for frontline contributors it can lead to a feeling of like isolation and bad days are a little worse and good days aren't celebrated as much as they sh- they could be so if, if remote is going to work really well finding that balance and making sure that you're still creating that kind of environment where there are opportunities for water cooler moments or like yeah. walking one-on-ones or whatever the case may be and it's not all about slack
0: yeah and, and also just tough to even have that with a zoom because like oh now I'm still just at a computer you know can we like call each other and go for a walk or something or
1: stretch your eyes take a take a yeah. little break yeah
0: right on yeah you put it well extroverted introvert. I much prefer to be on my own schedule working wherever I want and like choosing my environment but I want to be all over slack and I don't mind meeting perfectly new strangers every day like I'm all about that but work-wise I want to like be in my own environment
1: can I ask you a question
0: Yeah. Yeah. Please do.
1: Okay. Great. Um, I come from, you know, an environment. I was in offices for a long time and, Mm -hmm. you know, Tulane, I had my own office, level set, bullpen environment. But like a lot of like people who are coming into the workforce now, I mean, workforce is how people would make friends. Yeah. Yeah. At level set, like a lot of the newer employees, like that's who they went out with. How do you yeah. think this is impacting that and people's loyalty to the workplace or yeah. tenure at a workplace? How do you think that's impacting newer people to the workforce that didn't get that in-person environment?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Obviously, depends on the company. Some orgs, they're going to go back to in-office if they haven't already and, you know, just different offices are different. But in terms of like remote companies in general and hiring straight out of college, I think like it's just going to gravitate the right kinds of people. So the people that end up in a remote role probably prefer that. and make the most of it and vice versa people that need that social environment will go find those it's a really good question though because depends on the city you're in depends are you going to travel like young people might use that as an opportunity to go travel everywhere and that's awesome i wish i had that opportunity at the time but i don't know it's hard to hard to say for us you know we're we're spread across the world we have people in africa we have people in canada and and then other co-founders in france and so i think you're just going to attract the people that want that
1: I mean, I always thought I would hate remote work. Before COVID, before Level Set went remote, I was always like, oh, yeah, no, I don't think I'll be able to focus. I was very, very anti. And then, you know, two weeks into COVID, I was like, oh, this isn't at all what I thought it was going to be.
0: I think what'll be interesting is how remote will affect school and universities and maybe kids you know that have that environment in school translate well into the work world and we're also probably going to see the 40-hour work week isn't a thing anymore i could also see a future that I've, I've heard before you work for four different companies and you just do csm stuff for four companies and you build your own schedule and you're available during these hours um, i can see that shaping out eventually
1: it's interesting you mentioned that i spoke with during my like networking conversations i was put in touch with someone in new orleans who's uh a fractional cf or ceo or coo she basically works Mm part-time for all of these companies that couldn't afford to have a full-time coo at right. their stage, but they need someone to come in and give them that advice and, and all of that. It's super fascinating. I just wonder like how it's gonna impact connection. Yeah. Not not like technical connection, obviously, but the feeling of, you know, a lot of people I talk to see that I worked at one company for seven years in tech, mm-hmm. and they're like, Oh my god, how did you do that? But it's like the connection with the people is how you do yeah. that. And so I'm wondering if part of the reason that people are moving around so quickly is they're not developing that relationship with the company or with the people at the company to the same degree.
0: Yep, could totally see that. I mean, you don't have the garage startup feel anymore, the house startup environment. That is completely different now where that connection to the, the leadership that, you know, it's great that I have that, but it's definitely not like I'm watching them work next to me all the time.
1: Right, like it used to be in the old days if there was like a fire, it was all hands on deck, like everybody's right. sitting around a table trying to get this solved together late into the night order pizza, mm-hmm. you know now it's like your slack notification goes off and okay someone else is still there I guess, so it's a little bit different, but it'll be interesting to see how everything evolves and which companies decide to stay remote, which decide to go back in or have some sort of hybrid environment. I know some are looking at four-day work weeks and Mm -hmm. all
0: sorts of different stuff. I can definitely get get behind that for sure.
1: It'll, It'll keep changing and evolving and we'll keep changing and evolving with it.
0: I'm probably going to be working remote for the next decade. Maybe we'll see when I'm in my 40s, but I don't know.
1: Well, you know, a Benny is going to appreciate that.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's that's what I'm thinking. To be around your kid, it's nice to be remote. That kind of benefits pretty priceless. Um, I'll just ask, I'll ask one more question for you. I'm just curious, um, since we can't talk about podcasts, I guess. Do you have any books that you would recommend folks check out, whether it's career-focused or work-focused or not? Just curious, even if you picked a new one up uh, recently at all.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, like for books, books on career or customer success, more professional books. I do love, it's probably the most frequently mentioned book at this point in time, but Brene Brown, Dare to Lead, is a great book okay the power of moments by dan and chip heath is another one that i recommend for leaders and cs people that just talks about how you can create incredibly powerful moments for your customers and your team and how important it is to think about those moments and manufacture them and not just rely on them happening naturally Mm -hmm. um and Fiction, which is where my heart is. I recently read The Beekeeper of Aleppo, which was really good. Very sad. I warn everybody. It was very sad. But a, a really lovely book. And then I have gotten my mom to read a couple of favorites in the most recent one. Well, she's listening to them on um, audiobook, mm-hmm. but the most recent one that she's listening to is A Gentleman in Moscow, which is a historical fiction.
0: Love that book.
1: Yes, we talked about it in my interview, Andy. and she she just is like finishing listening to it. And it was really funny because she's trying to talk to me about it. And it's been so long since I read it that I want to reread it so she and I can talk.
0: Yeah, that's one of those books I wish I had bookmarked the passage that kind of blew me away. You realize like, wow, the words you chose there were just amazing. Like, I don't really get that experience from books often. And I just kept going because I was like so enthralled by it. It was definitely one that I got to like read again. Uh, Might wait a little longer to forget more stuff and then I'll read again and then take notes or bookmark the spots that are really interesting and think about them more because... Yeah, that book is really awesome.
1: I love that. And yeah, I do remember us talking about that in our interview process, which is part of what made our interview so fun is that we could talk about pretty much anything. Well, um, I'm going to hop, but thank you so much again for asking me to do this. I
0: appreciate you too. excited to hear the news and hope you have a good weekend.
1: Thanks. You too. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for joining Work Stuff.
0: Can you see my screen? No, I don't think so. Cause it's just for
1: listening. I'm the guy who brings up work stuff at parties. My name is Andy and I thank you for joining me. Work Stuff, a podcast,
0: professional stories casually told on work stuff.